0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Rift, Enlightenment Within the Divide. I'm your host, Sam Denning, and today we are joined by a very special guest, Craig Eckert. Craig and I have known each other since I worked as an intern at Equitable Production Company in the summer of 2007 while a grad student in geology at Virginia Tech. He helped me learn how to turn my book skills into real-life skills in the exploration of hydrocarbons. But we aren't here to talk about that story. Today, we're here to discuss his upcoming book, Rocks, Roots, and Rattlesnakes. It chronicles his journey backpacking the entire Appalachian Trail back in 2020. It was a fantastic interview, and I look forward to having him back on again in the future. We started out recording video, but had some technical issues, and it didn't pan out uh, due to some incoming phone calls messing up the recording. Maybe next time. Please take the time while listening to check out the links in the podcast description. Maybe you can browse through Craig's website while listening to his fascinating story. Now, everybody, relax and enjoy the conversation. All right, I'm here with Craig Eckert. He was my mentor and boss at uh, EQT, uh, Equitable, when I was there back in 2007. And, uh, Craig, thanks for joining the, joining the show.
1: Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate
0: it. Yeah, and you've, been,
1: be
0: you've been doing a lot. Uh, you're always a busy, busy man, it seems like. But, uh, you know, when I knew you, we were working on um, the Nora Coalbed Methane CBM field back in 2007 the summer of 2007 and uh, Mm -hmm. I was just a little little measly intern there but uh, you know you you helped introduce me to a lot of people in that field and it was fun and and you helped take stuff for me this is from a personal perspective take stuff uh, that I had learned down at Virginia Tech in grad school and undergrad school because I was working on my Mm -hmm. master's and put it to practice you know up to that point Mm -hmm. it was just stuff that you'd see in outcrops off the interstate and it didn't, it was hard for us to see the practical purpose of it. And it mm-hmm. was really, you really opened my eyes to that and saw how you could take this and use it to, you know, in the oil and gas industry and to make money and to make product for people that a consumable product that people really, really desperately need. So That's, thanks.
1: That, yeah, well, absolutely. it's my pleasure. And, uh, and there were a lot of other folks who, you know, were, Helping you as well at that time, it wasn't just me, of course. But, yeah, you know, it, was a, it was a good place to be at, at that time.
0: Yeah, that was really it was fun and it was booming, um, mm-hmm. and it was it was enjoyable for me to spend some time in Pittsburgh. Um, it a great, great city, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how we met. I wouldn't be talking to you if we didn't have that experience. So now, you know, the reason I've got you on here now is you have written a book. Uh, called Rocks, Roots, and Rattlesnakes, a geologist journal. 150 days of discovery on the Appalachian Trail, and I wanted, you know, wanted to have you on here because I'd like to talk about your journey on the Appalachian Trail and and hear about this this book that's coming up for sale. Um, when is it available?
1: So it it's available right now for pre order, and you can do that through my website. Um, it's a lot cheaper on my website than if you were to go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, which it's also available there, but uh, at a higher cost, uh, just because of the way that their cost structure works, uh, they take, you know, a big chunk of it out. So I basically priced it in a way on Amazon and Barnes & Noble so that I don't lose money per copy sold, <laughs>
2: Right, and that's
1: and that's basically, the you know, the, the way that it, that's designed, but But if you go to my website, you can order it directly through my website, and that's rocksrootsandrattlesnakes.com, and it's available uh, for pre-order now, as I said, and it'll be available for delivery then, um, I think, on April 12th. Okay, So well, for
0: for those who are consuming this audio only, I will post on the... uh, I will post on the audio version in, in the, in the description. I'll put a link to this, to this. And then for those listening or for those watching it, watching this podcast, I'll also in YouTube, I'll put a, I'll put a link down there for people to click on to your directly to your website. So if you guys want to order this, which I would advise you to do just having gone to rocks, roots, and uh, .com, there is tons of information that you've put on this website And we were discussing this before we started the call, um, amazing website, uh, whether somebody reads your book or not, this is a very, not a very good, thorough website tells a lot about you, a lot about what you've done, a lot about, uh, what you're doing right now. Um, I I thought it was really an amazing website. So I have ordered a couple copies of this, but of course I know you, but I look forward to reading this. I enjoy hiking. I'm a geologist as well. Um, So I'm pumped up. um, And I hope those that are, that are listening would uh, do you the honor of buying this book and helping you out and reading the story and maybe passing along and sharing the link. So, well,
1: thank you. Yeah. yeah. I think it'll be interesting for, for a whole variety of people. folks uh, all different audiences um, and the point was um, to to record the story in the form of journals which you know I, I kept journals every night you know that was part of my ritual I would get into my tent at night and I would review the day's maps I would plan for the next day where I wanted to end up You know, look to see, you know, what the terrain was going to be like, how far I thought I could get, where I might stop for breaks, where I might stop for lunch, etc. And then finally, I would uh, I would write a couple of pages in a journal. And so that was sort of the, the start of the book right there was all of those pages of journal entries that I made every night.
0: So did you did you go into this expecting you'd write a book? Like, did did you anticipate that this might turn into that or did it just Uh, evolve into that?
1: I I can't say that I started out with the intent of writing a book, but I did go into it with the intent of recording, like in writing what I did every day. And then I wasn't sure really what I would do with that at the end of the day. But um, I'd say maybe about halfway into it, maybe even a little bit before that. um, You know, there's a lot of, time during the day to talk to people if you run into someone and you know you hike with them for a little while but there's a lot of time to talk about all sorts of things and one of the things that we did talk about from time to time and i say we me and whoever i happen to be to come hiking with for that day um you know i i mentioned a couple of times about my journals at night and, and you know several folks made the comment that, wouldn't it be cool if you would put that together in the form of a book? <laughs> so it was it was actually uh, suggestions that came from other people, and, and I had even come up with a name. Um, I had this thing about these alliterations that all begin with R's, and there were more than just the three that ended up being part of the title. There was also like Rain, Relief, and I can't remember, there was a whole bunch of them that sort of uh, characterized you know, the daily experiences out, you, out of the trail. <clears throat> and, and so these three, uh, uh, you know, rocks, roots, and rattlesnakes, they seem to be the most, you know,
0: Stand out, obvious. stick out, yeah. It's,
1: just, it's basically what what you're looking at all day long. Well, I don't know, <laughs> so... so the trip and fall up over a rock and so forth.
0: I, I'm a Boy Scout, and um, uh-huh. or was a Boy Scout, I'm an Eagle Scout. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, no longer, I'm a Man Scout, uh, but the... <laughs> I went to Cimarron, New Mexico to to film on. Yeah. And so I have experience in backpacking and I've, but I've listened to some, uh, another podcast you've done and I don't really want to, well, if some of this uh, interweaves with that, that's fine. But, um, I'm sure that was in the late Mm nineties. So, and you had talked about the differences in the material for backpacking.
1: Oh, and, um,
0: I thought to myself, I bet you from that time to now, stuff is significantly lighter and better. Oh, I'm sure and it is. We did two week backpacking at that time. It was a two week thing, and it was it was pretty brutal, but because uh, you could pick different tracks, there was trails all over the place. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I thought, and I wanted to ask, so, so you know, how old
1: are you? I'm 64.
0: What made you decide to up and hike the appalachian trail <laughs> at uh at what what year did you do this was this
1: so i I did it two years ago uh it'll be going on two years in june okay uh, so i was sixty two at the time but I had just retired uh, a couple of years prior to that and um this is something that I had always wanted to do um, it was i guess you could say it was on my bucket list you know that's what people generally refer to that sort of thing as. Um, but, uh, when I was younger, I had some friends that had hiked the Appalachian trail and I remember always kind of regretting not having gone with them. And, um, and as a kid, I had grown up right next to the Appalachian trail in the Lehigh Valley. So Kittatinny oh, yeah. mountain runs right along the Northern border of the Appalachian or, or of, uh, the Lehigh Valley. And so we'd go up there and scouts and, um, old school outings and, all sorts of things. Um, there was all, all different reasons for you know getting up on the trail but so I was real familiar with that part of the trail but I never really had ventured beyond you know maybe fifty miles or so from you know the Lehigh Valley and always thought that would be a really cool thing to do and so when I finally had the opportunity, you know, retiring, because it's a big chunk of time, if you do a through hike, it took me you know a gross five and a half months.
2: Yeah,
0: like half um, the year.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's not something you do if you're working, right? And so you almost have to be retired or th- so there's there's sort of this, this bimodal group of people that do the trail, and there's obviously exceptions, but it's a lot of young people that are either right out of college or you know, they haven't quite gotten into their careers yet, and so they have that free time. So it's those guys, and then it's The retirees. Older older guys. Yeah. And women, of course, too. Um, And there were a lot of women on the trail. I think typically most women that I met were in pairs or groups. Um, There's a few that hike on their own, but um, it's more common for men to do solo hikes. At least that was my experience. Maybe that's not true statistically. I don't know. I haven't really investigated (laughs) it, but I would suspect, and I I think for safety sake too. Yeah, it
0: makes sense.
1: Yeah, not that the thrill isn't a safe place, but, you know, that's probably the way it is. Well,
0: along those lines, so, um, you know, you were 62 when you started. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was going to ask you some things about safety. Um, Mm -hmm. so I guess I'll ask them now. Actually, let me follow this thread about, so did, did you have to do a lot of prep work physically for this to get prepared to do this?
1: Well, I I did actually. Um, and it was, it was just in the form of, of uh, hiking, you know, four miles every day or so. I did that for about a year and, um, and I was pretty faithful about it and I had the opportunity to, you just drive 15 minutes from my house to North Park, which is uh, just on the north part of Pittsburgh, uh, which you're probably familiar with. Your brother, I think, lived somewhere yeah, around real, here.
0: Yeah, really, so yeah.
1: You might have been around North Park in, in the past, but, but there's like 40 miles of trails through North Park, and there's all kinds of loops that I've become real familiar with. So I did that for about a year um, in advance of uh, starting. And I remember thinking... You know, well, I know what my pace is now because I, I do this all the time, and I, you know, used to record my hikes to see how long it would take and what my um, miles per hour were and everything else. And, and I was hiking about three miles per hour solid every single time, and I thought, well, that's my pace. And um, and then I figured, well, if I'm going to do like 15 miles a day, that's only five hours. what am I going to do with the rest of my time? And so I would. Uh, I would then uh you know think well what what am I going to do with uh you know all the rest of the day well as it turned out my pace was not 3 miles an hour not with the backpack and not with the terrain that yeah. you you're hiking on 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 the AT I mean you know the uh the one the one thing that always amazes people when you bring this up is um there's something like five hundred and fifteen thousand feet of um
0: elevation change of
1: elevation change up and down, and so you know if you consider that it's 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 sort of like every seventeen days I think I' figured out you're hiking to the top of Mount Everest and then back down the other side to sea level so you know from that standpoint it it sounds like you know, an awful lot of elevation change, and and it is.
0: And it is, yeah.
1: So, anyway, I guess the point of this all was just to say that my uh, my preparation um, hiking was, you know, it was good, but the only way to really prepare for it is to actually do it.
0: To do it. Yeah. I was going to ask you, was it adequate? Did you feel you were prepared enough or did you, were there occasions where you were like, gosh, I'm not ready for
1: this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I think I was as prepared as I could could be, be. but it, it, uh, I, I certainly got my legs in a whole lot better shape after, you know, some of these grueling mountain climbs, uh, day after day after day through North Carolina, because uh, they they were brutal. Well, I was going to say,
0: what you know, in any given day, what was the 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 most drastic elevation changes? You know that you had to experience, like in one day.
1: Oh, uh, well, five thousand feet would be um, would be not uncommon in parts of North Carolina. So there are places where you know you you climb three thousand feet in the morning, and then you drop down, and you do another one later in the afternoon, and so it, it, it's pretty severe at times, but, but the motivating factor is getting to the top of each of those mountains. And, you know, a couple of things um, that happen when you get close to the top, you think you're almost at the top and you start feeling the cool breeze, because this is during the summer, right, in the mm-hmm. south. So it's really hot and you're perspiring like crazy. And... Um, And so as I I would get near the top, you would always feel this breeze begin to hit you in the face, and you could tell you're getting close. But the first summit, or, you know, I'll put that in quotes, that you would encounter would be the first of many, many false summits before arriving at the true summit. And um, It's like I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you think you're at the top, and you say, oh, no, I, I can see there's still a lot more uphill to do. And then you get to the top of that one and you say, oh, no, I'm not there yet. And you might do this like 10 times before you finally get to the top. But when you finally realize you're at the top and you can always tell because it is real breezy and there is a, you know, you can sort of see light through the trees in every direction. You think, ah, finally, you know, here I am. And and, and oftentimes there's an overlook or, you know, some type of, you know, scenic view um which just it's just fantastic and well, you know what a spectacular reward for you've got
0: photos on your website that are just breathtaking and and are those some of uh, did you take those pictures
1: i i just took all those with my cell phone wow yeah. so that's
0: one of the things i was going to i was going to ask you that was in regards to safety so mm-hmm. did you have a cell phone like if something were to happen and you yeah. had service could you um so you're basically unplugged, but you had a lifeline.
1: That's true. And in different parts of the trail, that lifeline works better than others. Like up in New England, you have cell self, service just about everywhere. But um, down south in Georgia, North North Carolina, and Tennessee, there are long stretches. And even in southern Virginia, there are long stretches where even on the, on the highest mountain peaks, you barely have a signal. And certainly, any, anywhere below that, nothing. So, um, but I mean, I didn't really
0: right. You weren't worried about
1: that or anything. Although I have to say, when I first started out, my my idea was that um, I was going to make a short video every morning, and then uh, send that out to you know friends and family. Well, there's no way you you can't possibly with with the limited cell service that was available. I mean, I could barely send a text message. I was not going to be able to be sending, out <laughs> sending videos. Out, you know, videos. So, so I started out making those, and, uh, and I, actually, I continue with quite a few of them, but, uh, but I never, I never used them to transmit, like, this is what's going on today. And, you know, some people do um, do that with YouTube channels, and I'm not quite sure how they're able to connect. With the limited, um, you know, yeah. capabilities that the that the cell phone offers in places,
0: so you had you had to use your your mapping skills. You weren't using your, you know, because all these uh, anybody, any young listener that's under the age of thirty five, and this is a total ballpark figure, but probably mm-hmm. don't know how to use a topographic map. Um, but you know, yeah. did, you weren't using GPS on your phone. You, you
1: no, actually, uh, I had I had a whole. I, I can just show you what I, I had. I used these National Geographic um, map books, and they just have, you know, sections of the trail, like fifteen mile sections on every fold-out page, and uh, that was really my uh, that was that was the system that I used for, um, you know, finding my way. Oops,
0: sorry. It's all right.
1: How edit that how um.
0: How- how much planning on the daily hiking did you do, and how how far in advance did you do that?
1: Um, well, I would I would certainly do just the full day that was ahead of me, but I would also look to see um, like when I whenever I would move from one major province to another, uh, like getting into the Smokies, and you know I, I'd have to plan all that out. Of course, for the Smokies, um, that was one of one of three areas along the trail where you actually have to have permits in order to camp. Huh. And so you had to do that in advance. So you had to plan out where you were going to be each night and how many miles you were going to hike each day well in advance of arriving there so that when well, this is <laughs> this is officially what you were supposed to do. As it turned out, because of COVID and 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 staffing, et cetera. There were, I I didn't see a single ranger the whole time I was on the Smokies. Now, most years, there are rangers patrolling and and, uh, walking the trails and making sure that people have permits. Um, But in most years, the type of permit that's required for the Smokies, it's, um, I forget what it's called, but it basically, if if you're a through hiker, um, all they really want to know is, approximately when you're going to arrive and approximately when you're going to leave so that they can sort of keep track of how many people are using the trail at a given time. And if if someone gets lost, they can go to the records and they can see, well, they said they were going to start at this date, and no one's seen them since. So here's where we should look. Um, But anyway, because because of COVID, they actually only offered what are called backcountry permits. And what that meant is that you had to predict where you were going to be each night. And there were only eight spots available at each of the shelter areas. So it was a little bit tricky. And uh, my son helped me with that. He was in Singapore at the time. And since they were 12 hours uh, beyond Beyond, before us, uh, he was able to do that in the afternoon. And and the reason I say that is because the, the advice that I was given is to... Sign up for a given tent site. Um, you have two weeks in advance that you can do it. So, beginning on midnight on that 14th day prior to when you're going to stay, you need to get online because that's where the server is and so forth. And so he was able to do that in the afternoon in Singapore instead of me staying up until All midnight. Night.
0: Yeah, messing and with it. And then
1: expecting to have signal and anyway.
0: Well, that's interesting. Well, first of all, it's interesting that COVID even, it went so far as to affect, affect hiking on the Appalachian Trail. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind cool. of mind-blowing. And then, um, mm-hmm. and the amount of help that you had, uh, outside help that you, that you mm-hmm. had doing this journey.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. um, I know, obviously, I, I asked you about getting physically prepared, but I, I, just as much of it's probably a mental journey. I mean, overcoming. I mean, maybe not yeah, a whole no, lot, but yeah. just being gone for so long. These are things yeah. I would think about. Like, man, you know, can I mentally take that? Uh, yeah.
1: Know. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess I did think a little bit about that, but uh, it was something I was, I was really looking forward to. You know, just getting out and and uh,
0: enjoying nature. Yeah, and, and, and
1: trying and trying to see if I could do this for an extended period of time. I actually started out not planning to do the whole trail. I started out just planning to do about 500 miles, I think 470 miles of it. And about two weeks into the trip this is when I decided, well, it looks like I can actually do this. And so I think I'm just going to hike the whole thing. Why not? So, so I started out with the intention of just doing a part of it and ended up, you know,
0: you Early just kept on. going. Yeah, you're like, I can do that.
1: Exactly. Uh-huh.
0: So, so where, where do, for those who don't know, where does the Appalachian Trail start, or where did you start, and then mm-hmm. um, how how many miles is it?
1: Uh, yeah. So it starts uh, end to end. The Appalachian Trail begins in Springer Mountain, Georgia, which is oh, about an hour north of Atlanta. Um, and there's actually an approach trail because there's really no. Road that takes you to Springer Mountain. Well, I guess maybe some back jeep trails or something, but <laughs> yeah. for the most part, you, you can't. You can't have somebody drive you there and drop you off. So normally, people start at Amicalola Falls State Park, and there's a little archway there that is sort of the official start of the approach trail. And um, so then, uh, from there north, it travels through uh, 14 states and um ends up at Mount Katahdin, Maine, um approximately 2,200 miles away. And Mount Katahdin is in Baxter State Park, and it is the uh, northern terminus of the trail. And then beyond that, there's actually another trail known as the International Appalachian Trail. And this is all sort of done with the intent of bringing geology into into the mix and um, the uh, the international appalachian trail is it's essentially just you know continuing along what used to be the ancient appalachians which formed as a result of the collision of gondwana with laurentia which in geological terms is north america and africa and this is prior to the opening of the Atlantic Ocean back during the Jurassic, you know, a couple hundred million years ago. So it's sort of following the trace of the mountain system that resulted from that was created. the colliding of two plates um, back, um, you know, 300 million years ago when the Allegheny and Orogeny, which was the final mountain building episode um, that took place to, to form this. Immense mountain range from, you know, essentially Greenland to well south of Springer Mountain, Georgia, and um, so anyway, that the uh, the International Appalachian Trail. Then I think it goes all up to Labrador along the Canadian Maritimes, and then jumps across to some of the uh, British Isles and follows the Caledonian Mountains and into Scandinavia. And, And it basically just retraces where those mountains are on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean today. But at one time, of course, they were all together.
0: Oh, that's fascinating.
1: So it's it's kind of an interesting, uh, and that's that's on my list of things to do. On your bucket list? Yeah.
0: Craig, on your website, you know, you've really got a lot of pretty cool details on here. I'm specifically looking under your appendix part, okay? Mm -hmm. And you've got on here, you know, what I packed what I ate, where I stayed and what it cost and what I learned. And you've got some really interesting stuff on here that obviously people that backpack think about this stuff, but somebody that's just like, Hey, I want to get into this or I want to read about his experience would look at this and go, man, you know, you kept a lot of really good details um, that I I personally find fascinating. And like one of the ones that you mentioned was um, that, you know you you like to keep track of your uh your speed your miles per hour and all that and you have on here right. that right. you've got a bunch of different graphs and some of it's related to that um and you 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 calculated how your average length of time that you were on the trail um and how fast right. you were going and i find that stuff really pretty cool and especially that you charted some of it out in graph form in the book
1: yeah so i mean the the whole intent of, of the appendix Dependencies was to, uh, you know, provide information for future hikers so that they would know, you know, how to prepare for the trip, what to expect, um, what type of, um, you know, food they would need, how are they going to resupply? Because these are questions that I had, and um, and there's actually an awful lot of information out there on YouTube channels. Um, I mean, you wouldn't believe how many YouTube channels are out there that, um, you know, they they talk about different types of gear. Like there are, well, I'll just name a few that I really like. Uh, There was one that was called Darwin on the Trail, and he used to review all sorts of um, tents and sleeping bags and, oh, I don't know, just all kinds of things um, that you might need. Uh, that you that you do need um on a trail trip like this and so that's where i learned a lot of this and, and i just wanted to pass on the information that i learned and that i found was the most useful and helpful for me
2: and and everyone
1: has a different experience but um i did a little bit of trial and error with some different types of uh, equipment and the the equipment that i like the best. Um, I I talked about and um, and for the most part, you know I had pretty good things to say about um, most of the most of the uh, items that I took with me, and so that that's what the appendices are all about. Is really just uh, trying to help the future hiker, section hiker, through hiker, or even you know short distances, um, somebody who's out for a weekend, um, because you still need to pack all the same types of things even if you're only you know going out per week and by the way that reminds me um, you know prior to doing this trip uh, I think maybe a week was about the longest that I had ever backpacked so this was kind of a new thing for me and and so I really appreciated the uh, the help that was out there on these YouTube channels so that uh, you know I was able to you know learn from folks who had that experience. And you did mention also uh, keeping track of um, the miles per day and how many hours each day and then calculating, you know, what my average pace was and how that might have changed. I was really curious what those answers would look like. And, and so I graphed them all out at, at the end of, the, of, of my journey. And then um, you could definitely see some trends and some good correlations between where the roughest terrain was and how how my uh, daily pace changed. Um, and I think the the best way to look at that is you know take uh, five or ten day running averages rather than looking at each day individually because every day is a little bit different. But but you begin to see some real trends when you start looking at the averages and And those trends, as i said they they really did correlate pretty well with the um intensity of the terrain, you know just as you as you'd probably expect. And there were places that <clears throat> I actually thought would be because of what people had always said, for example, Pennsylvania um has the reputation for some people think it's the hardest part of the trail, and I thought, well, actually it turned out to be one of the easiest because there's hardly any um, elevation change from day to day you're you're up along ridge lines the whole way what's tough about it is many of the ridges are they're capped with um silurian sites, which are um, just sandstones that are so cemented they're really really, really tough. hard yeah and and they're hard on your feet but you know i i didn't mind that as much as i did i mean that wasn't as difficult for me as was the uh the daily um you know 3000 foot ascent to the top of some mountain somewhere and you know i thought that was a lot more difficult and uh, challenging
0: yeah that would be brutal um the, the to me the, the big elevation changes you know in one day and stuff would be what i'd have to get really prepared prepared for um
1: and you know i was just going to mention and what's interesting is so there there are three big trails that run north to south in well there's more than three but there are three that seem to attract um the most hikers and those are that's the appalachian trail the continental divide trail that runs to the center of the country along you know the the rockies and so forth and then the, uh, the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, which is through California and up through the Cascades and through Yosemite, um, but you would think those would have more severe uh, terrain than the Appalachians. And maybe in parts they do. They certainly get you to higher elevations, but the um, the total amount of vertical for I think the Appalachians is um, 515,000 feet of gain or loss. And then uh, for the other two, and I don't remember which is which, I'm I'm guessing probably the Continental Divide Trail was next. But those are only like 400,000 and 300,000. So much less elevation change. But again, it's a different, they're completely different. You know, you're not in the east anymore where you know the highest mountains you might encounter in the east, well it would be Klingman's Dome and um, Mount Washington at I think Mount Washington is like sixty two eighty or something and Klingman's Dome is sixty sixty eight or something like that. Um, but but out west of course, you know, you're you're peaking out fourteen thousand feet from time to time and and then you're staying up there you know walking ridge lines you know at really high elevations so anyway i guess i'm just i'm just you know presenting that because um, the appalachians are they're not nearly as high but there's there's a lot more ups and downs let's Yeah. Say in in that way
0: um what are some of the most uh memorable experiences you had on your hike
1: <clears throat> well there every day was was uh, something different right? right and that's one of the things that made it so interesting because you never knew what i mean you could look at the maps all day long and and but you never really knew what you were going to see until you actually got there and that's what that, one of the things that was so motivating about it but um as far as the, the days the day or days that stick out i think um a couple of things Um, down in North Carolina. uh, I think the Balds, which are these um, mountains that rather than being treed on top, um, there are meadows on top of them. And it's thought that uh, perhaps Native Americans had cleared the trees, you know, and maybe had, had farmed up there at one time or there's a lot of uh, debate as to why they are bald. It's, it's not, it has nothing to do with being in the alpine zone. Like, huh. those same elevations would be in New England. the um, trees. Anything, anything about 4,200 feet or higher in New England is in the alpine zone, and, and it's just too high in those climates for trees to grow. But down in North Carolina, the bulbs are just spectacular, and you go on for days— Walking along these meadow-topped mountains that are well over six thousand feet in some cases, and and it's just it's phenomenal. you just you can see forever in every direction. So that was those those were spectacular. Um, and then up in Maine, um, the Mahusics, uh It's a mountain range in southern Maine. Um, that was spectacular. Uh, the White Mountains in New Hampshire were incredible and breathtaking, and um, many of them well above tree line, of course. Uh, The presidential range, where Mount Washington is part of um, just incredible scenery in every direction, uh, very intense weather, very unpredictable weather. And and I guess maybe to directly answer your question, the most memorable day probably was uh, after the presidential range came the um uh the Franconia Ridge. And the Franconia Ridge is just a series of mountain peaks that um are all sort of connected by a ridge line that's in, in places very narrow, and you get, you know, these awesome views in, in all directions, of course. But the day that um the day that I hiked to the top of Mount Lafayette, which is the first of the peaks, um, it was real rainy and cold and windy. And uh, when I uh, when I get to the the top of the tree line, you know, and entered the or uh, the uh, the alpine zone, um, I was hit with these like approximately sixty mile an hour winds. And it was uh, this horizontal uh, Frozen, uh, freezing rain and and snow. And, uh, you know, of course, what that meant was all the rocks. And there was nothing but rock ahead of me because the trees up there and and the path was basically just uh, following along these these boulder climbs. But all the rocks were completely coated in ice. And so, you know, it took me like three hours just to summit uh, Mount Lafayette and get over it and it was it was fall game and this like i said this intense rain and the uh the fellow that was hiking with me um his name was fenway he had this uh this pair of rain pants that he had just purchased and the wind was so intense it literally shredded the rubber from his rain pants and and so he was walking in these like linen like the underlayer that used to be glued onto the rubber part that had been shredded and blown away by the wind. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was pretty amazing. So, um, but that was an experience. And well, then, uh,
0: thank God you survived that.
1: Well, it, it was one of those experiences where like, I didn't really think like I was going to die out there or anything dramatic like that, but <laughs> it, I, I certainly could understand how that could happen and um and the weather in the whites is notorious for uh, you know changing on a dime and um you know suddenly you think you're you know hiking along on a beautiful day and a storm can come along and just change everything in in a second so wow very interesting yeah
0: those are definitely memorable memorable moments definitely mm-hmm. i'm sure you've probably even got a greater appreciation for uh, you know, for life and, and everything, having done this hike and greater appreciation for, you know, the wild.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and just little things um, that you notice along the way, um, just, you know, crossing over creeks and and the sparkling clean water. And of course it looks clean, but there's a lot of animals that live out in the woods and um and they all use the uh, streams too and you know and any water that washes into the stream that uh, might contain some of their you know fecal coliform and th- there's my point is there there are things in the water that can make you sick so as as beautiful and pristine as as all the mountain streams look you always have to be careful that you uh, uh filter all the water and I suppose in the old days, I mean, it's not like there were filters 100 years ago and people still survived. And and maybe they just developed immunities to right. some of the bacteria that was in the water. I don't know, but I wouldn't want to make, I wouldn't want to run that experiment. Um, so when my, you,
0: so, you know, you talk a lot about um you know the weight of what you're carrying, which makes sense to me. The lighter it is, the better you're you're going to mm-hmm. fare. Um, so the weight of that backpack probably fluctuated as you drank water throughout the day and and things like that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. So the I would carry two liters of water, and it's uh, you know two point two pounds per liter, I think. And so when you're when you're up, it uh, filled up with water. It's uh, at least four and a half pounds of water. That you're carrying, and then um, in addition, the uh, the resupply, um, and and you know just to be specific about it, uh, the resupply is your your daily food rations, and typically you'll you'll need five or six days of food um, with each resupply. So where I would do those would be uh, usually a a small town that the trail would go through or near and sometimes it it would require a shuttle from the trail into a town so that you could go to a little store and and buy you know another week's supply of oatmeal another week's supply of ramen noodles and beef sticks and energy bars and all the other things that you need for the next five or six or more days and and that and all of that I kept in a food bag, and the food bag would, you know, weigh next to nothing at the end of the week. And it would be great because, you know, you're, you're traveling lighter, and then all of a sudden you would resupply and, and uh, restock a whole lot of food, and suddenly you'd be, you know, 10 to 15 pounds heavier than you were just an hour before. Wow, and yeah. So it was kind of a, you know, uh, a bittersweet experience um, resupplying every, uh, every week, but, uh, you know, you had to obviously, uh, restock your food and, um, that's just a matter of survival.
0: Yeah. It's very, um, a lot of these things that you really need to think through before, uh, you, you, you get going on a trail like that. So like doing, obviously doing a major, major hike. And I mean, obviously this is kind of a no brainer statement, but there's just so much preparation, it would, it would be horrible to go out there and not have these things planned out. And I don't know why you would do that, but, um, uh, well, I, I,
1: just I ran into folks from time to time that, you know, clearly were not all that well prepared and, and, you know, it, it, it could be anything from just having a really cheap, uh, shelter system. You know, maybe they, they bought a, a used tent online or something from a, or, forward it from a friend and, and it was either too heavy or perhaps it might have been, um, you know, not waterproof or something like that. So, um,
0: so equip- equipment is, is, is critical having the proper equipment. Okay. And right. You right. Would, you would agree in with fact, that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, um, I, I think, I think one of the, uh, yeah, one of the one of the keys to a successful hike is thinking that through really really well and making sure that you do have um, the best equipment that you can afford. I would just say, and I, I know it's uh, it's not inexpensive. Um, like my tent, um, as as great as it was, it weighed 14 ounces, super lightweight. It was made from a material known as Dyneema. And it is supposedly 17 times stronger than Kevlar. Wow! But it's it's really thin. It's a thousandth of an inch thick. So uh, I don't know how thick Kevlar is, but obviously, you know, if you're using it for bulletproofing or whatever, it's, <laughs> it's a lot thicker than that. Um, right. But anyway, the uh, you know the tent wasn't cheap, but it was certainly <clears> worth its weight in gold, um, and it kept the rain out. It was completely waterproof. Um, it had what's called a bathtub uh, liner all around it <clears throat> so the the floor sort of comes up like a little bathtub when it's set up properly and even even during the most intense rains, it will keep you completely dry inside so
0: that's that's awesome
1: but like, yeah, things like that I've
0: done plenty, and I'm sure you have done plenty of camping where I've gotten soaked. <laughs> And oh, woken up, yeah. Um, yeah, nothing exactly. like waking up the next day to go hike 20 miles, uh, through rugged terrain uh-huh. being drenched, uh, right, to start exactly. the day. Yeah. I mean, nobody would want that. So I think, you know, you, you put on your website here and, and, and I'll, i I really encourage people to go to rocks, roots, and com and order the book. I mean, that's, um, I mm-hmm. enjoy talking to Craig, but, uh, I definitely enjoy talking to you, Craig, but that's the important thing here. If you guys want to know more about this and want to order this book and, uh, please go to that website. And so Craig's talking about the equipment, um, you know, food stopping at these places. And he highlights on, on, on this, uh, website, you know, how much money this whole entire endeavor cost him. Um, and it's pretty, it can be kind of expensive, but when you spell it out in the way that you spell it out, it's really not that bad. I mean, considering it was half
2: of a year. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I figured that, you know, over that 150 days, it came to like $53 a day. So, and and that's all in costs. That includes airfare to get me to Atlanta, um, back and forth to Virginia for one of the uh, trips. Uh, my main trip, uh, I did a flip-flop, what's known in the hiker world as a flip-flop, and that is when you get about to the halfway point or so, rather than continuing in that direction, you fly to the end point and then hike back
2: to oh, close cool. the
1: loop. And that, that's what I did, just because it was getting late in the year. And- um, You didn't want to be that far Spain, up north, yeah. Well, it, you, you couldn't, um, you wouldn't be able to get into Baxter State Park um, in November, for example. Um, I think they close mid-October and don't allow hikers in after that, uh, at least not to summit Katahdin. And um, and that's another story, uh, maybe for another time. I, I can I can get into that. But
0: well, actually, uh, what I would like to do, and I'll say mm-hmm. it on here, is to to call you up again after I read the book. Um, okay. after I receive it and read it and have a, maybe an even more in-depth conversation and try again, um, for those listening, uh, there is nobody watching cause we've had technical difficulties with the, with the phone. And I did learn what the problem was, Craig, my, my uh, phone was supposed to be on do not disturb and apparently that didn't work. And my mom called me three times and it knocked, the, uh-huh. it knocked okay. the uh, video off, which is kind of a bummer cause it was, it was pretty cool. Um, But if you, you know, so, so your overall experience here was, I mean, how would you describe the whole experience in a nutshell?
1: Well, it was, it was life changing, I have to say, um, in that, you know, it was, it was so difficult at times that I didn't think that I would be able to do it from one day to the next often. And, um, it's just like a lot of other things in life that are difficult. And if you overcome them, then you, you know, you feel a sense of accomplishment that far exceeds your expectations. I I suspect. Um, But it also, it opened my eyes to, you know, what's out there. I mean, it's, it's a great way to see America. Let's say that um, because you experience, you know, all the various subcultures that are along the way. I mean, New England's very different from Georgia and North Carolina. And Virginia has its own uh, character. Um, The Shenandoahs are are fabulous. Um, And they were a surprise for me, too, because I expected, you know, the Shenandoah Mountains are along the Blue Ridge. And um, certainly, you know, most of us have at least driven past them if we haven't been to them. But what what was interesting to me, and I hadn't really thought much about it until I got there, was once you're up into the Shenandoahs, you're you stay up along the ridge lines for most of the way through, and so there's not a tremendous amount of ups and downs every day like you had, for example, in North Carolina and Tennessee and Georgia. Um, so it, my my pace improved dramatically when I was. Walking through the Shenandoah is because it's, I don't want to say it's flat because it's anything but, but flat, but it's flatter, I guess you could say, yeah. than uh, some of the other states. But uh, but you mentioned you you were, we've been sort of talking about gear off and on. And the one thing that <clears throat> that I think is really interesting is that, uh, and you mentioned uh, your film on experience when you were in Scouts. Mm-hmm. And, and at that time, and certainly when I was young and when I was in Scouts and I used to backpack with our troop, you know, here and there, um, the type of equipment we had, you know, consisted of a lot of cotton canvas and uh, metal frames and um, wood, uh, wood poles for our pup tents and things like that. And the, the bottom line was it was really, really heavy. And um, pretty much everything today is ultralight. And I, I mentioned the weight of my tender earlier 14 ounces. Wow. that's, I mean, that's, crazy. that's like a, a can of soda.
2: <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and, and it's your and home. It's a, yeah. And, and the interesting thing is, everything pretty much is made from oil, it's made from the petrochemical industry. And, um, you know, it's, it's just an amazing uh, improvement in materials you know, as a result of the petrochemical industry. And, um, I I don't know how many people realize that when they're, well, I'm glad you, when they're hiking.
0: I'm glad you point that out. I mean, there are so many things related to the, to the, the, the the oil industry and, you know, um, that are like, you know, have changed the standard of living, uh, and that people just, people only imagine, you know, the combustion engine, uh, right. But yeah, I mean, I, sorry, Craig. That's no, okay. Um, I was going to say, you know, I really look forward to to this book. Um, and I wished I could talk a little bit longer, but I, um, kind of have to wrap this up, but I, sure. I, I look, I look forward to this. I'd love to have a follow-up conversation. Uh, I'd like to have another attempt at uh, recording it and for those, okay. for those out there, uh, that are interested in this kind of thing um and if you've made it this far in the podcast i'm sure you probably are uh please you know uh check out rocks roots and rattlesnakes.com and buy the book uh and even if you don't buy the book go read through what craig's experienced he's got it detailed very clearly on there he even is keeping up with stuff he's done since that hike and um Do you have, I know you said you have a couple other bucket list sort of hikes. I mean, what, what kind of things do you foresee you doing, um, in the future, uh, you know, long distance hike wise?
1: Yeah. Well, there's, there's all sorts of, um, in in the U S there's all sorts of long distance, um, trails that are scattered around the country. Some of the more common ones I mentioned earlier, the, uh, Pacific crest trail through California, the, uh, um the continental divide trail that runs up essentially along the rocky mountains and up into wyoming the tetons etc and then ends up um finishing in canada um but there are so many other ones there's um the colorado trail which is about 570 miles i think and it's similar to parts of the um Continental Divide Trail, but it's just in Colorado, and it takes a little bit, a little bit of a different route. And then there's um, east-west trails that cut all the way across the country. There are some that um, are pretty much in the Northeast. There's one that's called, um, I think it's about 4,400 miles long. It's called the North Country Trail, which goes through Pennsylvania. Begins, I believe, in Vermont uh, near the um, Long Trail. Which runs along the Green Mountains. Anyway, I could go on and on, um, but suffice it to say, there's thousands and thousands of miles of trails, well-marked trails for the most part, all through North America. And um, so, yeah, many of those I'd like to gonna, tackle. You've got you've so got well-marked.
0: a game plan to, to 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 tackle a couple of these.
1: Yeah, I would say I have a. a penciled in game plan. (laughs) And the reason I say that there's some things this year that um, are going to prevent me from doing another long distance trail. Um, But um, perhaps next year I'll have a little bit more time free up to to do that. But uh, yeah, I've got, I've got lots of things uh, on the list that I, I would like to do a lot of, a lot of the trails on the list I'd like to do. Well, in the next couple of years, uh, including that international uh, A.T. that I mentioned earlier.
0: do you have um, let me finish it on this source. Do you have plans to do another book?
1: Um, that's a very good possibility. Um, I think I think the idea of writing a book and then talking about the geology um, beneath my feet as I, as I trek along has an appeal to me and i think it has an appeal to readers it would have
0: an appeal to me as um, well Um, yeah
1: so that's something i I may do that i i I don't have specific plans but um i'll certainly uh, journal as i go and um and in fact i i did journal my way through the long trail last year and i haven't done anything uh with with that uh crude manuscript if you will um but there's a still possibility i might i might do something with that
0: well i know that you're you're very knowledgeable in the uh field of geology um and and i would look forward to reading that as well i can't wait to get this book in the mail um i'm really craig i want to thank you for even for giving me your time and um accepting my invitation to come on here um, well, thank you for asking. Sam. Yeah, Whenever I mean, we'll, we'll have sure. to catch up uh, in person sometime. Maybe if I'm up in Pittsburgh, I'll give you a call. Uh, would love to. Um, Please I, do. Yeah, I look forward to it. And, uh, you know, Craig, uh, thanks for this conversation, and I hope those out there will go check out your website and check out your book. And um, if if we have time in the future, we'll follow back up and uh, see, see what else you got going on in your life because it seems like you are... Um, doing a lot of hiking and and seeing a lot of really cool, cool areas of the country.
1: Sounds good, Sam. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, I'll hope to talk to you soon.
0: All right. Take care. See
1: you. Thank you.
0: Bye.